to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. When the body of believers come together in a time of communion, it is a sacred time. I never want you to look at what we are doing at this moment as just, ah, they're passing out a piece of cracker and some grape juice. Wow, what a neat little treat that is. This isn't a snack, as if we're like in kindergarten, and this is our, our little break before, before the service. These elements mean everything to us. They mean everything to us. You're going to have a cracker in your hand in just a second. You're going to have a cup in your hand. That cracker is going to symbolize, it's going to be a picture of the body of Jesus that was broken. Think about it for a moment, that God, perfect, needing nothing else to be any more complete than he already is. He's God. He doesn't need to be any more. He doesn't have to demonstrate anymore. He's God. He is always God. He always will be God. As we just prayed, there is no changing in him. And yet, when he looked upon us, mankind, and he saw our sinful condition, started all the way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. It was there that God began to put into place a plan to redeem mankind. As he said, all the way back in the, the book of Genesis, that as the serpent has deceived the woman and the man has fallen with the woman, he deceived the serpent. That devil of that serpent, that, that devil, Satan. God pronounced the judgment upon him on that day. We see a, a couple of times, well, we see one time especially, very specifically, where God and Satan are having a conversation about one individual. His name was Job. You remember that? Oh, if you, the reason why Job blesses you and serves you is because you've given him everything. I mean, if just take away, you know, his goods, take away his wealth, then he'll deny you. And so, so go ahead, touch his wealth, but don't touch. God says, go ahead, Satan, touch his wealth, but don't touch the man. And Job remained faithful and true after his wealth was taken away. Oh, well, if all of, all of his his kids, his kids are the big thing, you know. If his kids were taken away from him, well, then he would definitely deny you. And he says, go ahead, Satan, but do not touch the man. And so Satan went out and he destroyed Job's kids, took them all. And yet, Job remained faithful. And Satan that third time comes to God and he says, well, he remains faithful to you because of his health. If you took his health away, surely he would deny you. God says, go ahead and take his health, but spare the man's life. Keep him alive. So Satan went out and infested him with plagues. Horrible plagues. So much so that Job lost his friends. 
His friends begin to rebuke him, saying, Don't you see that God is judging you? Don't you see that God hates you? Why don't you curse God and die? His wife actually says, Hey, why don't you curse God and die? His friends are going, Well, man, you have some major sin in your life, man, that God's dealing with you on. He goes, Man, I've checked my heart. I've asked God to forgive me of anything that I've done. But I don't find it. I don't know what's going on, but all I know is that I will not deny him. He said that to his wife. She says, why don't you curse God and just get it over with? Die, Job. And he said, though God slay me, yet, woman, I will not deny him. And God restored his sustenance to him and even kids his wealth and his honor. There's a picture of how Satan wants to destroy lives. He did that with Eve. And as he went in and deceived her and tried to get her to deny the Lord, as he went in to deceive her, it caused sin. She sinned. Adam sinned. And being that they were the first two human beings upon the face of the earth, God created Adam out of the dust of the earth and then created the woman out of the side of man. And he brought the woman to the man and the two became one. And from them was birthed the nations. We can all trace, if we could, we don't have the ability to, but if we could all trace, we'd be able to all trace ourselves back to Great, 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 great grandma and grandpa, Adam and Eve. All of us. There's not one human being upon the face of the earth that could not trace our lineage and our roots back to Adam and Eve. But you see, something that happened in that day was that, uh, um, you can have them come on in, they can come on in. They, um, that, that Adam and Eve, they passed down to us the sin gene. Sin. Sin. From that moment, as God said to Adam, do not eat of the fruit of the tree, of this fruit, of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat of this tree. You can eat of any tree in the garden of, of, of Eden, but of this one tree, do not eat. For in the day that you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. And Adam and Eve, the very next scene in the Bible, we see... Eve standing there before the tree saying, hey, this tree? He doesn't want us to eat of this tree? Isn't that just like us? Isn't that just like us? If your mom or your dad says, don't do this, what do you do? Well, how come? I remember Gail Irwin telling a story about how he and his wife went out to, uh, he's a pastor from out in California. Some of you guys know who I'm talking about, but he's an older fella, and he says, I... My wife and I went out for dinner one time. We've got a babysitter over at the house to watch our kids. And the last thing that I said to my child before I walked out of the, out of the house, I looked at, at one of my kids and I said, Now listen, while we're gone, don't put any beans up your nose. He's a jokester. And they, off they went. Guess what happened about mid-dinner? They got a phone call from the babysitter and they said, hey, you need to come home because your son got a bean stuck up his nose. 
Now he says, if I would never have implanted that thought in his head, he never would have thought about putting a bean up his nose, but because someone said, don't do this, the very next thing you do, you go, well, I wonder why. Hmm? Why? Now you know he's going to shake this hand today, are they? I just saw that went up my nostril. So shake my left hand. I'll wash afterwards. Here's the thing. God says don't eat of the tree. And there they are. They eat of the tree. Eve was deceived. And then she gave to her husband who was with her. They both sinned. And God says there's judgment that now has come down upon mankind. Think it broke God's heart when man sinned? I think so. In the Garden of Eden, when we see in the Garden of Eden that, that after they had sinned and God is walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and Eve heard God walking in the garden, they ran and they hid themselves because they didn't know who it was. Up until that point, there was nothing to be fearful of and they ran and they hid themselves. And it says, God spoke and he says, Adam, where are you? Now, that can be said in many, many different ways. Adam, where are you? In a punitive father manner. Adam, where are you? That kind of even has the God reverberation on it right there. Adam, where are you? I don't, I don't think it was the heart of a scolding father or arresting officer. I think that the voice from God said, Adam, where are you? Where are you? God knew where Adam and Eve were. God didn't need information. Does, if God is perfect, does God need information from us? Turn to your neighbor and say, God doesn't need any information from us. <laughs> Don't say it exactly like I said, or you're going to be here for half an hour. Here's the thing. God doesn't need information from us. He didn't need to... For Adam to go, oh, hey, here I am over here, God. Oh, wow, I thought we were playing hide-and-seek. No, God wasn't playing hide-and-seek. God had a broken heart because he understood what had happened. But as he cast out judgment on the serpent, as he cast out judgment on the woman, as he cast out judgment on the man, the relationship between God and man changed on that day. There was a separation. There was a spiritual death on that day. And the judgment that he laid upon the woman, sorry gals, pain in childbirth. Thank grandma for that. Great, great, great grandma. But here's the thing. It would have been you the same way, me the same way. It would have been all of us. We're all confined under that sin. But he said something to Eve on that day. God did. He says, I am going to put, and as he's talking to Eve and the serpent at the same time, he says, I am going to put enmity between her seed and your seed. And he turns to Lucifer and he says, you will bruise his heel. And he looks at Eve and he says about her child that will be born from her seed, the seed coming from the woman. He says, but he will crush the head of the serpent, or the head of Satan. At that moment, God had laid out the plan that he was going to have to step in. It was going to be him that would come through the 
the womb of a woman. For you see, a seed is never ascribed to a woman in the Bible. A seed comes from a man. A seed doesn't come from a woman. But God placed a seed, not a weird way, God miraculously placed a seed in the womb of a woman by the name of Mary. And there, a child was born. And from the daughter of Eve, Mary, virgin, was birthed. The one who would crush the hate, the, this head of Satan. Oh, his heel was going to be bruised. He was going to be injured. He would be bruised. Isaiah says in the Old Testament, he says, He will be bruised for our iniquities, chastised for our peace. And by his stripes, we will be healed. And like a lamb led before the slaughter, so he will not open his mouth. It's exactly what happened to Jesus. He was born of Mary. A fulfillment of the prophecy of what God said all the way back in the book of Genesis. God implanted a seed in the womb of a woman. God became a man. And as he did, he grew. And as he grew, he began to do many miracles. He began to show who he was. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. What was lost? It was the souls of mankind, all the way back in the Garden of Eden. God came to seek and to save that which was lost. What man could never do, what woman could never do, what child could never do, by making themselves right with God again because they're a sinner. And God can bear to look at no sin. God became a man sinless. For you see, the sin gene, the sin curse passes through the seed of a man. It passes through a man into the womb of a, of a woman and the baby that is born. It, it constantly, it just, it continues to, to propagate sinners upon the face of the earth. And so the only way to interject sinlessness into this world is for God to interject into the woman a perfect and a holy seed. And it was the seed of Jesus Christ. God became a man. Emmanuel, he was called. God with us. Jesus, Jehovah is salvation. Christ. Is the Greek term for the Hebrew term Mashiach. He's the Messiah. He's the coming one. And so he became the coming one. He was the coming one. He was the one who came to save us from our sin. What does all this mean? The Bible says, later on, it says, says there can be no forgiveness of sin without what? I know some of you know this. What? The shedding of blood. Without a sacrifice. So God would become a sacrifice. Bear with me for just a couple more minutes. This is awesome. Do you remember back in the book of Genesis where Abraham was called to take his son, his only son, and take him up to the, to the mount? 
and be crucified, or not to be crucified, but to take him up on a mountain, and he was going to sacrifice him. Abraham wanted a child so bad, and God finally gave it to him. And here he has this one and only son, and he takes this in obedience. He takes Abraham or Isaac up to this this hill. Many people believe that he could have been Isaac could have been upwards of seventeen years old. And to think that Abraham is well into his hundreds at this time. Do you think that that 17-year-old could have overpowered his dad? I think so. But he was obedient. His dad, as they were walking up the mountain, they left their two servants down at the bottom of the hill, and he says, the lad and I are going to go up and and, and sacrifice and worship the Lord. And we will come back to you. For God said, take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him. But Abraham remembered that God had said, through your son, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. He understood that that somewhere along the line, God was going to do something miraculous. He didn't know, but he was obedient. It's the reason why Abraham is the father of faith. He was obedient to God. And as he went up onto the mountain to sacrifice, just he and his son, Isaac on the way up goes, hey, hey, pop. Yes, sir. Hey, I, I, I see the wood. You got it on my back. We got some fire. But where's the sacrifice? From a grieving heart of a father, knowing what he's about to do, sacrifice his son, he said, Son, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. Now your Bible, many of your Bibles will say, the Lord will provide for himself a sacrifice. That word for is in italics, probably in your Bible, because it's not there. For you see, it changes the whole meaning. The God will, that God will provide himself a sacrifice. God would become a man. He would be sacrificed. This was a picture of something that was going to happen one day. And so Abraham, he takes him up there. He builds the altar with Isaac. And then he says, Isaac, come here, man. Come here, son. I love you very much. Do you trust me? He picks his son up. He lays him upon the altar. He ties him to the altar. And he takes a dagger out, a broken-hearted father. And he's about to slay his son in obedience to the Lord. Now, mind you, God is not asking us to kill our kids. There was a simple test that God was taking Abraham through to show him his faith, to show the world, to show you and I what obedience and what faith is. And as Abraham is about to come down upon his son's heart, the Lord says, Abraham, stop. There's a ram caught in the thicket right over there. There's a lamb. Take your son off the altar and put the ram up there, for I have provided that lamb for you. Who do you think was the happiest person there? I'm going to say it was probably a toss-up between Isaac and Abraham. Probably a little bit more on Isaac's side. Go Rams. I think he became a Ram fan after that. Sorry. 
So, so they take the ram and they stick him up there and they sacrifice him and then they come back. The key word, the key phrase was that the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. That was a picture a few thousand years before Christ came on the scene. And what's interesting is that the wood was laid upon the son's back again. The son of God, Jesus. The sacrifice was being led up the hill. The same hill. I don't know if you've ever caught that. Have you ever caught that? It's the same exact hill. Mount Moriah is Mount Calvary. The hill that God told Abraham to take his son up and sacrifice his son is the same exact hill some 4,000 years later that Jesus was led up to, up upon the top of Mount Moriah, Mount Calvary. And there he was sacrificed. But there was no lamb caught in the thicket that day. He was the lamb. You remember it was back in the book of John, the Gospel of John, that John the Baptist is baptizing people in the Jordan River and he sees Jesus walking upon the, the shoreline. Do you remember John's or John the Baptist's words when he saw Jesus walking along the banks of the river? He says, Behold, what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's the Lamb caught in the thicket right there. That's Him. That's Him. He was going to be the one sacrificed for mankind. For mankind. It was going to be the fulfillment of what God had declared on that day in Genesis chapter 3 to Eve, to the serpent, to Adam. That this day was going to come. Jesus fulfilled it perfectly. By his stripes we are healed. He was bruised for our transgressions. He was chastised for our peace. It pleased the Father when he endured such punishment. How can that possibly please God? To see his son die. It was because in that death, it was going to provide life for all of us. And so here we have this cup, this bread in our hands. That little piece of bread. That little piece of bread that you have in your hands. Kev, you want to grab some more elements? That little piece of bread in your hands represents the body of Jesus that was beaten and broken for you. Look down at that piece for a second. You see this piece right here? It's not a full piece. It's broken. His body was broken for you. You see there's little holes in that piece of bread. Little holes in that piece of bread. He was pierced. His hands, his feet, his side. There's no leaven in this bread. Leaven is always a picture of sin in the Bible. There's no leaven in this bread. And finally, you see little scorch marks on there. 
A sacrifice was consumed by fire. Jesus was consumed for you and I. Beaten, broken, pierced. Sinless for you and I. We have this piece of bread in our hand that signifies and reminds us of exactly what that day meant. Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room the night before he was the night that he was betrayed. And he says, I want you to take this bread, I want you to drink this cup. And we're going to talk about the cup here in just a second. I want you to take this bread and I want you to eat it amongst yourselves. Because every time you take of this bread and you eat of it, and you ingest it and you eat it together, remember what I'm doing right now for you. Remember that it's about Sacrifice. Remember that it's about salvation. Remember that it's about sin. Remember that it's about a father's heart who loves his kids so much that he would be willing to turn his back on his own son so that we could be saved. This is not a snack. This is a picture of the brutality that Jesus, that God, went through in order to secure your soul. And Jesus has asked us as kids, hey, when you eat this, would you just remember that? Would you remember that? I don't know that I can lay out communion any more plain than that. Let's partake of the bread together. And on the same night that he took the bread and he passed it around, he also took the cup. And as he took the cup, he passed it around. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What do you mean this cup is the new covenant in his blood? You remember, as I shared, without the shedding of blood there can be no remission of sin. There can be no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. But it can't just be anybody's blood. It has to be innocent blood. Perfectly innocent blood. Spotless. No faults whatsoever. Could that be your blood? Could that be my blood? Absolutely not. We're all sinners. The Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We all fall under that condemnation. There's only one that could actually take the place of that sinless sacrifice and his blood would be pure to be shed for us to wipe out the sins of mankind. And it was God placing that seed in the woman and the baby that was born and the sinless life that he led and the sinless death that he died. He said, this, this cup, my blood, it's a picture Mind you, this doesn't turn into blood. It's a symbolic gesture that reminds us that his blood was shed for us. And as we look at this cup, we remember that without the shedding of blood, there is no 
hope for salvation. It's not simply just in love. There are churches here in town right now that are propagating had nothing to do with the blood. They're teetering and they're walking on very thin ice. And I'm fearful for the pastors that are propagating that doctrine. Without the blood of Jesus Christ, we're all lost. And if you ever hear anything different than that, you need to flee, you need to run. As if your hair is on fire. Get away from that guy, because soon it will be. Do not remove what the blood is about. Jesus, he bled. The new covenant, yeah, well, the old covenant was that there were 613 laws that you had to abide by. Not just the Ten Commandments, but all of the others. In order to be perfect. And nobody ever was found to be perfect. They were there to show that no man can do it. And so Jesus says, no longer are we going to come to God through the law of God. We're going to come to God. We're going to have peace with God through the blood that was shed. This is a new covenant. The way we find peace with God is through the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, when you take this cup, it's the cup of the new covenant in my blood. So this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, you drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I come. And so together, we come before the Lord. And as a church, we partake of the cup together. That symbolizing the blood that Jesus shed for you and I. Let's partake. That's communion, guys. Communion with the brothers and sisters. The remembrance of what Jesus Christ did for us. It's one of the most interesting times as a a believer. For there are times that you look at that and you say, Wow, for my sin, my ugliness of my sin, he had to go through that. And we... We come face to face with our sin and and it should grieve our heart when we look at that. God had to do that for us. And so our heart, it feels depressed, if you will, that God would have to go to such extremes because of my sin. And yet, on the other hand, we have such joy because He did do that. And we've received that And because we've received that, we have life. And so on one hand, we're bummed that he had to go through what he did. And on the other hand, we're so ecstatic that that's what he did. And it's just just a a, 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 a picture of, of, what is the word, dichotomy? Is that the word? Polar opposites. Man, Lord, I'm so sorry. But Lord, I'm so happy. What other, what other time can you come in any other subject matter and have those extreme different emotions? 
And it's not about emotions. It's about the truth of what has happened on the cross that day. Let's stand. Let's sing this song. I, you all know this song. It's forever. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can have these range of feelings, of emotion, of, 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 of knowledge, knowing that, Lord, it was our sin that led you there, and yet that's the reason that you were born. It was the reason that you lived to go to the cross and be punished for us. But, Lord, the the grave didn't hold you in the ground. Nothing can hold you down, God.
for even death is a servant of yours. Death must follow your orders. And so, God, you rose again. You rose again, Jesus Christ, and you showed yourself among mankind, and you lived among men for a season again. And then you ascended into heaven, where you will one day come back for us again, and we long for that day. Thank you, Lord, for communion. Thank you, Lord, for the body of believers being able to come in and remember why, remember what, remember when, and remember that one day we're going to see you face to face again in glory. Not because of what we've done, but because of what you have done. And we thank you, God, that you died on a cross and rose again from the dead three days later for us. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.